glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Acts chapter 17, we're going to read verses 1 through 9, and then go directly to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Acts 17, we have the account of how the Thessalonian church got its start. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. Now, that verse 3, that's the gospel. Paul Use the scriptures, Old Testament scriptures, and preach the gospel. Verse 4, And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks a great multitude and of the chief women not a few. But the Jews which believed not moved with envy took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort and gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. Now, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians 1. I believe having read Acts 17 going to put some of the things Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 1 in its proper context. Verse 1, 1 Thessalonians 1. Paul and Silvanus, which that's referenced to Silas, another name for Silas. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not speak anything. For they themselves show us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Thank you. You may be seated. There's a mouthful said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I want to point out, if I might this morning, three things in chapter 1 that, that point to the Thessalonian church, things that we see about them that have application to us. May I say this? I think it's easy when we hear the preaching of God's Word, when we hear this, to put it in a context that leaves it how shall I say, that leaves it disconnected from our practical daily lives. God's Word was not given merely for us to have a historical understanding of how some church got started in some place, 
But as you well know, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. How many of us believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is the owner and head of Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church? And well, I, I so enjoyed what Brother Bissett pointed out in Sunday School lesson that the underemphasis on the resurrection, when you don't preach the resurrection, it is a different gospel. That is the truth. Because if Christ is not living, he cannot guarantee the promises he's made. And he is living, and therefore he does and can guarantee the promises he's made. You say, what does that have to do with Christ being the head of this church? Does he have a plan for this church? He does. How does that plan get incorporated and executed? Same way it did in Thessalonica. As we cooperate with His Word and His Holy Spirit as He communicates through the Scripture, then He fulfills His plan for us individually, His plan for this local church. And so as we come into missions conference, I really want us as a church, uh, as a church body, as a church family to be thinking, okay, what is our head communicating to us collectively? What is He communicating to us individually? And as we look at this message this morning, I want to be reminded, maybe just put a clear vision in front of us again, as to what Christ's expectation is of what a church ought to be. It's very needful to, to on a regular basis, say, okay, Paul is commending, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's commending this local church, and what he's saying is, very clearly, the objectives that we had as preachers of the gospel were fulfilled when we came to you, meaning what we see coming out of your lives tells us we had success in the work of God. How do we measure success today Spiritually, when it comes to the work of church, many would measure success by saying, is the building full of people? Well, that may be true and it may be not. What I find, how many of us, how many, how many, how much time is given to tell us how many members were in the Thessalonian church? None. What we have is their character and their conduct, their relationship with God, their relationship to their world that they lived in, and their expectation for the future, it's pointed out. And what we see in the Thessalonian church today should be a clear portrait of what our Lord and Savior is looking for in His church. Therefore, if we'll get a hold of this, I believe this, if we, and as we as individuals and as a church, get a hold of God's objective for what we're supposed to be, then what happens is the fruit that He... Root produces fruit. When we are rooted as we are to be in the Word of God, then we will be able to continue to financially give the missions, to give our time to missions. We will not have to one day write our missionaries and say, the church is so declining that we can no longer participate in helping you serve God. And my desire is not that we decrease our ability to further the gospel, but that we increase it. Amen? I believe that's God's desire, that we'd be fruitful uh, to that end. And so then, let's look at three things this morning about the Thessalonian church that the Spirit of God points out and then with God's help, make application to us. First and foremost, in this text we have, in 1 Thessalonians 1, the essence of the church uh, uh, outlined for us. You say the essence, it means the character, the, the essential character of this church. Let me ask you this morning, if I had to ask you, and I'm not talking about a classroom definition per se, but what is a church? What constitutes a church? Some in this room have sat through biblical instruction and ministry training, and we could give that definition. The name, the, the word church is the Greek word ekklesia, and it means called out assembly. Called out of what? What's the church called out of? 
the world. Do we not hear a, a strong message from our culture saying, we're not called out, we're called to be part of. Now we are in, but we are separated from the world, meaning this, Paul did not simply write, this is a letter to the Thessalonians. Notice verse 1, he says, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians. May I just remind us this morning, it's a good reminder if you're a Christian today, that the local New Testament church is God's way of getting his work done in this world. There is a tremendous uh, pushback today because of, uh, uh, of spiritual failings, I'm afraid, in many churches, but simply the sinful nature of man to say, you know what, I can be a Christian and I don't have to go to church. You can be born again without ever going to church. I agree with that. Going to church does not save you, but you cannot be part of God's program and what he's doing, God's work in the world, without being plugged into a local New Testament church. Find someone in the New Testament that God used that was not part of a, lo- a, lo- a local church. After Paul got saved, just bear with me for just a minute. After Paul got saved, that was Acts chapter 9. Do you realize the order in the Apostle Paul's life? I understand God separated him for a time. He was on the backside of a desert for a time, getting some personal things from the Lord. But do you understand one of the first things Paul did after he believed? He got baptized, number one, as an evidence that he had turned his back on his old life of sin. He was now a believer in Jesus Christ. By the way, what was Paul's old life of sin? He was a drunkard? No. He was an adulterer? No. A fornicator? No. He was a religious heathen opposing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said, I am done. I count that all but loss to put my faith in the Son of God. He threw away his education. He threw away his, his, his family name. He did, Paul entirely lost his reputation as a man at the cross of Jesus Christ. By the way, that's what each one of us need to do. Instead of trying to use Jesus to build our reputation, we're supposed to die to ourselves at the cross of Christ. Paul did, Acts chapter 9, when he said, Lord, what would thou have me to do? And the Lord said, you go here and this Ananias will tell you what to do. One of the first things the Lord said is, you're going to have another human being tell you how to follow me. Huh? You know one of the number reasons, number one reasons we push back from local church? I am not a man follower. As though you can't follow a man and follow God. We're going to see in 1 Thessalonians, they did both. Anybody says, I'm not a man follower, is a liar. We all follow some other person. We all have templates, people in our life, patterns. It may be the man I look at in the mirror, but we're all men followers to some degree. Well, I wouldn't want to be part of a church. I don't want to believe in organized religion. I love to ask, so you believe in disorganized religion? I mean, what are we after here? I know you say, what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying this morning, the Apostle Paul, when he was Saul of Tarsus, he believed on the Lord. He got baptized in Acts chapter 9. And the Bible says he assayed, which means he endeavored diligently to join himself to the believers at Jerusalem. The word join is used mean to attach himself to the church at Jerusalem. Now, they were afraid of him. And Barnabas went and testified and said, no, you can accept this guy. You say, what are you trying to say? The greatest missionary outside of Jesus Christ using the Bible, one of the first things he did is got attached to a local New Testament church where he could be proven and serve God. And that's still true today. The church, Paul says, of the Thessalonians, the work of missions is done through churches. That's how God does his work today. And he's still going to do that until the Lord Jesus comes and catches us away. So the essence of this church then, well, what was this church made up of? May I say this? Because it just gets in our mind this way. A church is not all the warm bodies inside of a building. Just meeting inside a building called a church doesn't constitute a church. Can we all agree with that? 
A church is a, is a body of baptized believers in Jesus Christ assembled together under their mutual submission to his authority and love for one another. And uh, the fact of the matter is, here was a church that Paul and Silas and Timothy had established. They'd gone and preached among the Thessalonians. And the Bible says some of them, remember in Acts 17, some of them believed. That's who the church became. Those who believed. By the way, just for, just for some teaching for a moment, no church in the New Testament was made up of unbaptized believers. Baptism, why? Because that is a symbol of my sincere faith in Jesus Christ. It's the answer of a good conscience toward God to be baptized according to the Scripture as a testimony to the, to the power of the gospel to save completely. And so then we could preach another message about baptism. But here's what this church is. We're talking about the essence of the church. These are people who had genuine... Here's the essence of the church. These are people, as Paul writes them, who had genuine confidence in the Word of God. Genuine confidence in the Word of God. How many of us know there is a difference in saying I believe something and believing it? The Bible talks about unfeigned faith. This church at Thessalonica, I believe one of the reasons you'll find that they were such an exemplary church is if they were in that church, they really believed it. Let me put it to you this way. If this morning, all of a sudden, we, we see a bunch of cars pull in the parking lot, and we have all the organized religion in town. Let's say it's the, um, it's the, the local pastor's association. They come in and say, you know what? We are here to let you know you're part of a cult. All of you sheep here, and you sheep will need to know, this man standing up here is opposed to anything that is wholesome and good. And you need to beware what you listen to because we've heard him, we've heard his little messages on the radio, and this man, this preacher that's preaching to you today, and this other man, missionary here, to these people are part of a cult that are trying to brainwash you and control you and run your life, and you need to get as far away from them as you can. Undoubtedly, some would say, you know, I think there's some truth to that. And never come back. And then they say, we're not going to go that far... We don't want cults in our community. This is a community of love. And we're accepting of everyone, so we don't have cultic people here, so get out. By the way, our community does say things like that. Ah? Ah? You know it does. Yeah, so we don't, we don't have this, this mean-spirited, unkind, unloving. So you need to separate from this thing because you stay around here. Man, you, you just you need to get away from this. So we're going to take another step, and we have asked the local police to come and please arrest this man because of his unloving conduct and this guest preacher today because he believes the same kind of stuff. And we want them hauled off. If you stayed in this church after that, that means you believe what you're hearing. Now, it was a lot more extreme in Acts chapter 17. They were talking about killing the preachers. They went and they grabbed hold of Jason. So meaning this, they got a hold of the guy where Paul and his companions were staying. They said, if you're one of them, we're after you. So meaning the people that believe the message of the Word of God here, they knew if we, if we go along with the message we're, we're hearing preached, this is the treatment we can expect. That's why Paul said you received the Word in much affliction. What does it cost you today to receive and say, I believe the Bible? Honestly, as an American citizen, what does it cost you? Now, it's going to cost you more. But today, you're in a church that professes to believe that the Bible is literally the Word of God. It's already been stated in Sunday school this morning. We believe that it is the infallible, preserved Word of God. We can trust every word. We want to believe the Bible. There are people that hate that. But what did it cost you today other than some time and gas? 
these people to simply believe what Paul was preaching was going to cost them ridicule, perhaps their health or their life. You know what? You're not going to believe something at that point unless you're convinced it's true. And Paul says, what we have in this church is a people who sincerely and genuinely have confidence in the word of God. In Acts 17, let me just read that again very quickly. Verse 2 reminds you of what we're talking about. Was Paul simply pulling out something that he believed? No, the Bible says, And Paul, as his manner was, went unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. He opened the written word of God, what, what he had at that time was the Old Testament, and he, from that Old Testament Scripture, preached Christ unto them. And he said, I'm proving to you from the word of God that Jesus is the Son of God, and that if you don't trust in him, you're condemned. And there were those who were convinced enough, that is the word of God. But they said, it's not the word of Paul. Paul is not preaching his opinion. Paul is not preaching what he thinks. Paul, Silas, he believes the same thing. He's not preaching his opinion. Timothy, this young man, they're not preaching what they feel or what they think. They're not preaching a brand of religion. They are preaching the very word of God. Now, if you fear God and you trust God and you're convinced that God has said something, it will show up in your life. I dare say there has to be present in this room those who say they believe God's word but don't. At least at some level don't. How can we know? Faith without works is dead. It's true. Yes, let me say something. When God gets you, I've been here. I've been here. Where God says, Nevin, you say you believe that. But you've not acted in obedience on it yet. So are you just saying? Or do you really believe? When God does that for you, he's done you a great favor. You know what he's doing? He's working repentance in your heart. You know what? God will, and tonight we're going to look at a second part of a message on confession. Last week we looked at confession of sin. Tonight, with God's help, we're going to look at confessing the name of God. You ever read that in your scripture? When people got right with God, they confessed his name. What's it mean to confess his name? We can see it in the life of Daniel and Nehemiah and Ezra. They said, Lord, we're wrong. You're right. Is that not repentance in a nutshell? Because I believe you, I'm going to confess with my mouth, I am wrong. That's called sin. And God, you are right. Here is a people that had done that. The Bible says in verse 9, for they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. The Thessalonians had heard the idols you worship, that is idolatry. You're worshiping the creature, not the creator. And that is a transgression against the God who made you. He sent his son and had to die because of your idolatry. And now he's sending us to preach to you, to turn you from that, to show you that your worshiping of things is vile and it's condemned you and only Christ can forgive you. And they believed it. The the essence, the character of the Thessalonian church is this was a church body made up of people who genuinely had confidence in the Word of God. They truly believed that what the Scripture said concerning Christ, concerning them, concerning God's will for their life was true, that genuine confidence. Uh, Verses 3 through 6, and we'll try to move along a little more quickly. It says, remembering without ceasing, he mentions three things, your work of faith and labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight 
of God and our Father. He'll, he'll run this theme throughout the book of Thessalonians, commending them for believing the Word of God as something between them and God. Something between them and God. Verse 5, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost. Meaning, the Spirit of God worked with Paul and Silas to confirm. By the way, you cannot get saved without the Holy Spirit of God doing a work in your heart through His Word. It takes the Spirit of God to work, not regenerating you before you believe, regenerating you after you believe, but it takes the Spirit of God to reprove you, John 16 says, of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment to come. I cannot, there's no eloquence in me, there's no fervency in my spirit that can succeed at convincing you this is the Word of God. You know who has to convince you that this book is literally His words? He does. Now, he'll use preaching and he'll use teaching, but the Holy Spirit of God has got to work in your life to say, what you're hearing from that man is not his. You sit and you begin to think, am I an unsaved person? And you'll say, no, the preacher just thinks I'm unsaved. By and by, the Spirit of God says, no, I'm telling you you're unsaved. How do you know that your lost condition at some point in time before you got saved came down to something between you and God? And you knew that God knew you were on your way to hell. And you also knew that God was telling you, I don't want you to be. I'm willing to save you if you're willing to let me. Salvation is between a man and God, not between a man and a man. So Paul's saying, your, your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, your love for the Lord Jesus Christ, and your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ is in His sight. He sees it because our word came not in word only. The gospel didn't come. It just wasn't a, a message you could take or leave, but it came in power and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, meaning much conviction, the assurance that what you were hearing was true. As you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake, and ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. So this church, the essence of this church, was made up of a people who had genuine confidence in the word of God. Consider First Thessalonians 2.13. Uh, the apostle Paul says this concerning them. He says, for this cause... Also, thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. How many of you have ever dealt with an unbeliever and trying to convince them they need to believe the gospel, and they've told you, I believe it. I believe what you're saying. You say, so are you saved? Well, I'm a believer. Well, when did you become a believer? i just kind of always been one. And if you're a Christian, you go, ding, 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 ding. That's a problem. <laughs> no one's always been a believer. Amen? I was born an unbeliever and so are you. And so we have to be reproved of God, convinced of what the Bible says is true, and that only Christ can save. And when we believe God, he'll save us. Doesn't matter if you're 4 or 40, that's what it takes. And so then, someone says, I've always believed. And you say, well, have you ever called on Christ? I've literally had people say, I don't really see the need for that. God knows I'm a believer. When I say something missing there, because with the heart, man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So he says, well, I've just kind of always been a believer. No, there was a point where these people believed that what they were hearing from Paul was not the message of Paul, it was the word of God. And they had genuine confidence in the word of God. Because of genuine confidence, we call that faith, they had had a genuine conversion. What is conversion? That word is used in the Bible. It can be used of an unbeliever converting from their unbelief to faith in Christ. It's used of Peter as a believer who had confidence in himself and was converted and began to have confidence in his practical daily walk in Christ. 
But the fact of the matter is, we, we would use the word conversion here because of verse 9. It says, For they themselves, meaning the works that were coming out of their life as a fruit of their faith, they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God uh, from idols to serve the living and true God. Last week, we dealt with the message on serving the Lord only. Serving the Lord only. In 1 John, we wrapped up our series in 1 John a couple weeks ago on, on Thursday nights. The last thing he says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. This first point has everything to do with the worship of this church. The worship, the essence of the church is they were a church made up of true worshipers, people who genuinely believed God's word, and because of that, it genuinely converted or transformed their lives. When you truly, it's what he said in verse 13, that the word of God worketh effectually in you that believe. You know what? The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that the word of God had no effect on certain of them. Why? Because it was not mixed with faith. You know what, you know what will change, you know when the word of God will change your life? When you believe it. When you believe it. You'll never be born again until you believe that salvation is in the person of the living Son of God only. Then you'll look to Him and He'll do for you what He promised. He'll forgive your sins. He'll give you eternal life. He'll begin a good work in you and perform it until the day He calls you home, but not until you believe Him. The Word of God is like dynamite, but it's lit with the fuse of faith. A stick of dynamite. If it's not lit, it's no good. It was mentioned this morning, having a water faucet and the water not turned on does you no good. It is faith that actuates the Word of God in our life. It works effectually in those that believe. That those been in the same, same, you may be saved here this morning, but the same spiritual state for decades. And I guarantee you somewhere God has said something. We've just not responded in faith. There's lost people. I heard a great message this week on the danger of hardening our hearts. Speaking of unsaved people, they're unsaved people and God has been speaking to them, revealing to them, you are lost. If you died today, I would cast you out. You'd go to hell. And they've heard a message and a message and a message until finally today they can hear the word of God like they can hear a newscast. It means nothing because they've learned how to reject it. Oh, may we not be there today. The Thessalonian church, that's not what they were. The essence of this church is they had genuine confidence in the Word of God and therefore they'd had a genuine conversion. They went from people who loved stuff, loved things, silver, gold. They thought wood and silver and gold had the power to transform their lives. You say, how stupid. We do the same thing. We pursue money because we think money will do for us what God cannot Money will give me joy. Money will keep me safe. Money will give me wisdom. No, it will not. That's called idolatry. Only God can do that. Only See, if I had more money, it would transform my life. Yes, you have more money, it would probably make you an idolater. More than before. This is what the Thessalonians, it was more more rude and crude, I'm sure, but American idolatry is so dangerous because it's so guised behind all the facade we have. And I'm just trying to say this morning, that's not what these people were. They were idolaters who said, you know what, we agree with God, that is wicked. And it wasn't like they had Jesus that they prayed to and said, but the idol is a relic that's been in my family for three generations. I hate to get rid of it. No! They turned from serving idols and were serving the Lord. They weren't trying to do both, just the one. They were serving one. God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ who had saved them from their sins. 
The Bible refers to their work of faith. Notice that word is not in the plural. Jesus referred to this in John 6, 29, when they said, what works shall we do? What works, plural. He said, this is the work, singular, meaning not an exercise of energy, but acting in faith. This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. What does God require of you to save you? You believe on Christ, he'll save you. Talking about genuine faith. He does not require you to exert energy to get saved. Christ exerted all the energy necessary to save you. However, he doesn't stop there. He said, we remember without ceasing your work of faith. Then what's he say? Your labor of love. The word labor does mean the exertion of energy. We labor out of love for the one who saved us. And that's what they did. And then he said, then your patience of hope. So we've seen the essence of the church. In 1 Thessalonians 1, you can see clearly they're a church that had genuine confidence in the word of God. They received it not as the word of man. Can I say one thing before we move on? When you hear people say today, well... Which Bible? Well, we don't know. Because of all the different translations, we hope the best we can do is have the Word of God because why do most people discount the Bible as being completely inerrant? Help me here. What's the number one reason given we can't trust our Bible? As an English-speaking person, you can't trust that King James Bible. You just got to get as many as you can, as best you can. Why can't we trust our Bible today? So I I believe in inspiration in the originals, but I don't believe we have it today. What would you just say, written by what? Those people are receiving it as the word of men. Another question. What scriptures do we think Paul preached from? Do we think he had an original document in his hand? Brother Bissett, did he have an original? There's no way. No way. Do you realize there are no original manuscripts on planet Earth today? Not one. So they say in the preface of the Bible that we, we have translated directly from the originals. No, they didn't. They may have tra- translated from original languages... There are no original documents. This is a ploy of the devil to get you to say, it's just the word of men with the word of God mixed in. No, no, it's the word of God. And if you want this book to transform your life, just take it like that. It's not the word of men. It's not the word of Ezekiel. It's not the word of Daniel. It's not the word of Moses. It's not the word of Paul. It's the word of God through them. And today, if you've stagnated as a Christian somewhere, Satan has convinced you that man is more powerful than God and that you don't have God's word. And therefore, that becomes the discounting of whatever verse I've hung up on. Or perhaps it was translated wrong. Or perhaps I, maybe this or maybe that. Look, it's the word of God, not the word of men. And if Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church is going to continue in the, in the work of God in the world, we've got to be, have, have genuine confidence in his word. And know that we've been genuinely converted from living a life for sin and self of idolatry to serving Jesus Christ. Number two, the example of the church. And the last two points will go, should go quicker because everything's built on the essence. Because they had genuine confidence in the Word of God, because they'd truly been born again, there was a genuine conversion there. Then that leads us to what we find in, in these following verses. Look, if you would, again at verse 5. For our gospel came not unto you in word only but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Meaning they said we were careful how we lived. You can read more about that in the rest of the book so that we would not hinder the gospel in your life. We need to do the same, by the way. Verse 6, and you became followers of, what's Paul say? Somebody forgot to tell Paul this is a no-no. He said, ye became followers of us and of the Lord. You know, he's, he's insinuating You can follow a man and God. You can follow men and God. One of the things I try to do with God's direction, leadership, and help is the men we bring in to preach in this church, 
we want to be able to say, now follow their example. Not just me. I want to be an example to you. But we try to look at the preachers we have in and say, these are men who are sincerely believing God's word and living by it with good conscience. So that you have a consistent example in front of you of what your Christian life should look like. Now, no, no perfect preacher out there, amen? But the Bible says we're to be in samples to the flock. Because God intends us to find Christian leaders to follow. Follow. I have some men in my life I follow. I'm following their example. I respect them. I admire their consistent Christian example. When they speak, I listen. Not because I'm wise, but because God's given them wisdom and he's given them a place in my life to influence me. And we'd be wise to have to have to follow this example. What Paul says in verse 6, he says, you became followers of us and of the Lord. By the way, if you can't do both, don't follow the us. Paul said, you were able to follow us and the Lord. How can you do that? Because he and Silas and Timothy were following who? The Lord. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. As much as I am obeying Christ, you follow my example. Can I, can I give you something real quick? And I'm preaching this morning. This idea, I said to somebody the other day, well, I don't go to church because of hypocrites. I said, you know, I'm going to be very respectful how I answer, but that is an excuse to not come and sit under the Word of God. That's all that is. And when we say, I'm not a man follower, I've seen men who've led other people astray, I don't want to be part of a cult. Well, then don't be. Don't follow men who are pulling ideas out of their hat and telling you that they're God. But if you have somebody that's submitted to the Bible and obeying the Bible and seeking to follow Christ, follow them. Follow them. That's Bible. <laughs> Amen? You know what a shepherd does for a flock? Leads. You know what a flock does? It follows. What happens is we say, I don't think, but I don't like the way that the, the direction's going. Well, as long as it's consistent with the mind of God. And then we got to do what Brother Bissett talked about in Sunday school. You have to search the scriptures daily. Prove out that the direction you're getting is actually the Lord's direction to the life of that individual. But Paul commends me. He said, for you became, you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that you were in samples. Verse 6 and verse 8 are bookends around verse 7. So that you were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia. Because you followed us in the Lord, you became a pattern for others to follow. You know what an example is? It's someone to follow. It's someone to conform to. It said, you so followed the direction given you from the Lord through us that you became in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. How would you like it if the Spirit of God sent a preacher our way and said, Bonner's Free Baptist Church, you have so followed the leadership of the Lord and God's, the human leadership God's put in your life that you are an example to all the churches of Idaho and Montana. In two states around, we can say, you need to follow Christ like those people at Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church. Now, i got news for you. That's not why the Thessalonians did it. They didn't did it so, do it so Paul would say, oh, you're an example. They were just so convinced that the Word of God was the Word of God that they took it seriously and obeyed it and conformed to the spiritual patterns put before them of submission to God and holiness of life. Paul and Silas and Timothy had foregone certain privileges while they're in Thessalonica so that it wouldn't hinder the word of God. And Paul said, you followed our example. You were willing actually to take up your cross for the, the word of God. So much so, you so conformed to the will of God for your life that you became an example, a pattern church, so that 2,000 years later, they're still a pattern church. They took God's word seriously, and that made them an exemplary church. 
in their manner, their manner, and that has to do with their walk, okay? So we've looked at their worship. That's the essence of the church. Their worship was of God, not of men, amen? Their worship was of God and His Son, Jesus Christ, the one Lord God, by the direction of the Holy Spirit. Their example, does not. it's, a, it's the fruit of their worship. It's their walk. You became in samples. You followed us and the Lord. Well, very quickly, before we move on from that point, looking at their manner of life. Hebrews 13, verse 7. Hebrews 13, verse 7. And the Bible says this concerning following those that the Lord's put over us in the Lord as they follow the Lord, okay? And by the way, any man that wants a follower just to have a follower is not worth having a follower. We're not to try to get followers of us. Our job is to get followers of the Lord. What, by the way, let's, that's for this use in Sunday school. It's a broad term. What does it mean to follow the Lord? It's just obeying. It's that, isn't it that simple? To just follow, follow the direction that he gives for our lives through his word. Hebrews 13, verse 7. Uh, the Bible has given us some clear instruction, verses 5 and 6, about covetousness and uh, remembering uh, that the Lord is with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. That he's our helper. Verse 7. Remember them which have the rule over you who have spoken unto you the word of God. So we're talking about spiritual leadership. Whose faith, what's the next word? follow, considering the end, the goal, the objective, the end of their conversation, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. And then verse 9, be carried not about with diverse and strange doctrines. One of the best ways to get not get carried about with diverse and strange doctrines, follow somebody that's following Christ. And they'll keep you away from those diverse and strange doctrines. Verse 17 says, uh, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. See, why are we bringing this up? Because the Thessalonian church was commended for following Paul and Silas and Timothy and the Lord. That was their manner of life. They were living a consistent Christian life, consistent with the direction given to them by God through the ministers in their life. Number two, their message in First Thessalonians 1 he says in verse 6, he's talking about their, their manner of life, but in verse 7 he says, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. So the states, the, the regions around you, this is not a city, these are regions. Macedonia is a region, Achaia, this be like our states. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, so that we need not speak anything. You know what I think Paul's trying to say here? It sounds to me like... I go somewhere and I'm sharing my testimony about what God has done with us. That's what they did. They went back to Antioch, said, let's tell you what the Lord has done with us. And I began to say, you know, we went to Thessalonica and somebody says, I know. We've met some people from that church. And they were telling us about how they believed the gospel. And Paul says, I don't have to tell about how you got saved. Everybody already knows. Shouldn't have to walk up and say, somebody know you and say, oh, did you know they're a Christian? Well, I wonder, but I wasn't sure. Nobody had to say that about Thessalonians. No one had to inform the people they knew that they were believers in the Word of God because from them sounded out the Word of the Lord. Now, look, I'm, I'm, I'm glad. It's fine. If you want to go out and say, I attend Bonner's Free Baptist Church, fine. But do you realize it's not your job to go sing the praises of Bonner's Free Baptist Church? You invite somebody to your church. That's wonderful. But you know what it is our job to do? To go tell people what the Lord says. From them sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Caia, but Paul says everywhere, everywhere I go, people know about your faith to Godward. You know what they'd said? 
They didn't go around saying, oh, this dynamic preacher. Oh, we have the best pastor. His name is Paul, and he's got a couple of assistants, Silas and Timothy. We have the best ministry team you'll ever know. They didn't preach the gospel of their ministry team. They went around and said, you would need to know the Savior we have met. Well, some guy named Paul came around. He preached to us about Jesus Christ. And let me tell you what we heard from God. You with me? They went preaching their faith to Godward. They did not preach their confidence in their preacher. They didn't preach their confidence in their program or their system or their way. They preached Jesus Christ. That will determine everything else. Many today are so man-centric. We focus everything about some man. That's not our idea. They went everywhere preaching their faith to Godward. So that everybody knew about it. And finally, their method says, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. It sounds to me like they just went everywhere telling everybody about the Lord Jesus Christ. We're in an age of methods, 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 methods. You know, and look, all things to all men, I, that verse has been so overused. Be all things to all men. Don't, don't, if, if we have more money than someone else and we're going to deal with someone's poor... Don't go and show off how better your life is than theirs by wearing nicer things. You know, you can dress down to go talk to that person. That'd be all right. Go in a pair of Carhartts and a plaid shirt, and that's what most of us wear anyhow. So, <laughs> right? That's what Paul meant. He didn't mean I changed from preaching to drama to get the gospel across. What he's saying is I personally modified my conduct so as to not be an offense to the gospel. The mandate is still just go preach it, teach it, tell it. If you know that you're saved this morning, you know how you got saved. You know the word of God upon which you rest your salvation. If you're saved. Amen? It may just be two verses. Tell somebody. If God used those two verses to convince you you were lost and to save you, he could convince somebody else with the same two verses. I want you to think about this very quickly. When was the last time you personally gave scripture to an unbeliever? You actually gave, and it's fine, do it in tract form, that's wonderful, but I'm talking about from your mouth to their ears, that you said, you know, the Bible, God says. And somebody will say, well, that's from the Bible. Like I said, God says. See, what people need to hear from us is the word of God. One of the reasons we get intimidated about witnessing is we think they need to hear our word. They need to hear God's word. Amen? Well, should we use the reasoning skills God's given us? Sure. But from them sounded out what? Their message was the word of the Lord. What they had heard preached from Paul, they went and preached to others as well. From you sound out the word of the Lord, not only Macedonia and Achaia. They didn't say, okay, what's our minimum responsibility as Christians? If we cover our own region, uh, you know, we cover our own, our own region here, Macedonia, if we, 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 just, we get ours, that's good enough. So if we get the city limits of Bonners Ferry once a year, hey, we've done that, which is our duty. No. <laughs> Paul says this, very quickly, we're almost done. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 Look at this, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're very familiar with verse 33, but I think it's interesting to find verse 34 right behind it. He says in verse 33 of 1 Corinthians 15, Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. We've been talking about the manner of the Thessalonians and following the Lord and being an example of the Christians is what they ought to be. Their message was the word of the Lord, but then the reach of that message. Look at verse 34. Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. There are, Corinthians, there are people around you who don't know about God. Then look what he says. Paul does another no-no. Somebody did not train Paul in political correctness when it comes to ministry. Because first he said, follow me as I follow the Lord. That was a no-no. You don't do that. Secondly, he said something to shame somebody. 
He said, I speak this to your... He said, was he trying to shame them? No, he's trying to show them, you ought to be ashamed that there are people around you that don't have the knowledge of God when you do. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Sometimes, as a preacher, somebody comes around and they witness to somebody that I've known. And those people know I'm a Christian. I maybe have given them a gospel tract. But when I find out somebody took more time and care to witness to somebody more and give them a greater knowledge of God than I've ever taken time, you know what I feel? Shame. I shouldn't feel it. Yes, I should. I've had opportunity not taking it. Paul said, Corinthians, there are those around you who don't have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Why was it the Corinthians had people around them who didn't have the knowledge of God, but the Thessalonians didn't? They had a different kind of character. The Corinthians were known for questioning their preachers. Now, question your preacher from the Word of God. Don't misunderstand me. Don't, don't you take any preacher and say, well, the preacher said it, that's so. No, 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 no. That's not. But the, some, I'm of Paul. I like Paul's message better. They gloried in men. I of Apollos. I, no, I'm a Peter guy myself. Well, we have a culture full of that. I don't listen to that preacher. This is more my style. Fooey on that. Is it the Word of God? Brother Bissett and I, we're different style. It's the Word of God. Different ages. You know, Paul and Timothy were father and son difference in age. Same message. Same message. And so then, Apollos and Paul, different styles. Same message. And so the Corinthians, some around them had not the knowledge of God because they were carnal. They were schismatic over focusing on men rather than on God. And those around them were not hearing about God. They were hearing about Paul. They were hearing about Apollos. They were hearing about Cephas. No, I am of Christ. They were hearing all these different conflicting messages, but the Thessalonians, you know who they were hearing about? Christ. Christ. That's what their goal was because they had a different character. They had a different product. Corinthian church carnal, the Thessalonian church spiritual. An example of their church is their manner of personal living, their walk, but then their witness. Their message was the word of the Lord. Their method was simply to proclaim. They just told people. They just told people the way the, the truth. And then number three, the expectation of this church. I think this tells us why they could be so focused. Let me ask you something. If we compare these two churches again, the Corinthian church and the Thessalonian, what do you think was the focus? As we read Corinthians, if you know your Bible, what was the focus of the Corinthian church? Earthly things or heavenly things? Earthly. Paul had to write an entire chapter defending the resurrection and the return of Christ because some were teaching it wasn't even going to happen. To the Thessalonians, he had to say, you know it's going to happen, keep it your focus. I want to tell you something, nothing refocuses me on eternal things like remembering my Savior is coming again. First Thessalonians chapter 1, the expectation of the church. In verse 9 he says, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Uh, how many, if somebody said to me, uh, Nevin, I heard your, uh, your grandpas are coming to visit you this week. Grandpa Bob and Grandpa Charles. Aren't you excited? Say, no, I can go visit their headstones. But they're not going to come to me. I'm going to go to them. <laughs> and so I says, well, I want you to wait. They're going to show up here at the church building 
this Friday at 10 a.m. And I want you to wait here for them. Would I? No, because I know they're not coming. Because I know where they are. Their bodies are in the grave and their soul is in heaven. I know they're not coming. You don't wait for somebody you know is not coming. The expectation of the church here is we know Christ is coming. And we're going to serve him by giving his word until he does. Some people wait like this. Man, I am bored. Do you realize we have plenty to do until the Lord comes? Even if he doesn't come in our lifetime. Which I, every preacher since 2,000 years ago, I think has expected that he will. But boy, I'm going to tell you, we ought to really be expecting it now. And it seems to me more Christians in America have gotten focused on politics than on the return of Christ. We are waiting for the next cycle of the... Look, we're not waiting... I, I want to see my nation turn around. I want to see our freedoms preserved. I want to see that. But that's not what I'm waiting for. Don't hold your breath. Some are in despair today. We've lost our country. Friend, we lost it a long time ago. We never really had it. <laughs> Amen? We're looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. Are we not? Or are we? Are we really? Or are we just looking for a life here? See, the Thessalonians were focused not on... And here's... They had an advantage we don't. Their lives had already been made uncomfortable by the Word of God and their association with it. We're just now beginning to taste some of that. Just little bits. And what happens is they said, you know what? The, back, the next big event on our calendar is the return of our Savior. Their expectation was this. They were persuaded the Son of God because He had raised the dead is coming again. He's coming again. This morning, listen, you either believe that as a fact or not. But if He raised, He's coming. Amen? He's coming. And that's a fact. And we have to wait. You know what? Christians have been waiting a couple of millennia now. I don't think we have to wait much longer. But the fact is, we have to wait till he comes. But we wait. This is called hope. It's what he mentioned. He said, your patience of hope. What kind of lives were they living while they waited? They received the word of God in much affliction. I'm, I'm going to say something. I, I, I'm not trying to be unkind. I'm not trying to be harsh. But it needs to be said. If my loyalty to the word of God, if I'm not willing to let it cost me some discomfort in my schedule and my pocketbook meaning I'm not willing to give up more time for the Word of God, whether it's my personal devotion time or being in the house of God, don't think when persecution comes we'll be loyal to it. Peter thought he was. Peter could not even give time to prayer. And I'm not ripping on Peter. Lord has to use that and say, you paying attention here? My life, prayer life starts to slip. If you won't take time for prayer, how are you going to stand when persecution comes? You can't endure the discomfort of, of, of tiredness. How are you going to endure the discomfort of persecution? Huh? And the, today, there's such a casual, lackadaisical attitude toward the Word of God in our country that the idea of loyalty to the Word of God costing me a couple hours of my week or a couple hundred dollars in my budget is, wow, I mean, you know. What if it's going to cost me my health? I mean, there are people who quit church for good because of the fear of health. You with me? These folks had already paid the price. They had already said, you know what? We already know we have family that never talked to us again. We may get turned into the law, but we know what we heard is the word of God. And we believe God, and we're going to fear God more than man. So you know what? That did at birth in their heart an expectation. One of the, one of the encouragements I have about our time 
is I think a lot of us are saying, you know, if we're going to be faithful Christians, some of the things we thought might be part of our lives probably never will be. So be it. Christ is coming. Amen? That's where we should be anyway. So be it. Christ is coming to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Best pre-tribulational rapture verse in the Bible right there. He delivered us from what? The wrath to come. The wrath of God is going to fall on this world someday. And God says, I've delivered you from that through Jesus Christ, my son. They said, you know what? We're persuaded he's coming again, and therefore we're willing to be patient. He commended them for that, and I'm almost done, as I said before. He commended their patience of what? Hope. Hope is, I am so convinced something in the future is coming that hasn't yet. I know it's going to happen that I'm willing to patiently, cheerfully wait until it does. Patience is not, well, we have to wait. I guess we have another choice. No, patience means cheerful endurance. Cheerful endurance. Are we cheerfully enduring today? How can we? We know he's coming. And you know what? What do you want to be doing or not doing when the Lord does show up? I don't want to be ashamed before him at his coming. Do you? The Thessalonian church had a hold of it, didn't they? The essence of their church had genuine confidence in the word of God, and therefore they'd had a genuine conversion. They weren't serving earthly things. They were serving God. They weren't serving money and wood and, and, and gold and all those things that rot, perish, and can be stolen. They were serving God because God had sent his son to save them from their sins. The example, their manner, they were following his will for their life as revealed to them through the, the Lord Jesus Christ and the servants of God who are examples. Their message, the word of the Lord, their faith to God word, their method, simple proclamation, their expectation, they were looking for the Lord to come. They knew he was coming and what, that was what they were waiting for. They weren't waiting for the next big event in life. Live your life. That's wonderful. Enjoy the things God's given you. But where is our hope supposed to be set? In a better world or in eternal things? In eternal things. Mm-hmm.